Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Lady 80 Show podcast. We talk about books, everything about books, and have great interview with authors. Here's one now. Well, I promised Michael and that we would give him a dramatic and happy welcome. So can you get your flip it copies? Those have got physical copies and put it in front of you if you're using a background and let's wave them at him. So, Michael, whoa, welcome. <laughs> so we really welcome you. You are our first live guest of the Book Academy and the first of many. And I really, you know, thank you for coming. And I wanted you here because I just think you're amazing anyway. And um, we've got to know each other a little bit over the programs that you do that I'm part of, the books that you've written, including one that I'm in. And but it's not about me, it's about you. And it's about how an author transcends their words to its readers. And of course, those who have managed to read it or know a little bit about it. It's, it's great. So I've just got a few of your books with me, but flip it, obviously. How to Be Brilliant, The Great 17, and The Edge. But how many books have you done total, Michael? I've, well, I've written seven, seven books. And the first one that you've showed there was How to Be Brilliant. And that was that was the kind of the life ambition. You know that ambition that people have? I just want my name on the front of a book. That was the one for me. And if my mum and two other people had bought that book, I would have been delighted because that was the goal. But it did it did do rather well. It went into the top ten business books in the UK and stayed there for two years and four months. And then when the personal development version came out, it went back into the top ten for uh, another year. And um, at that point, my publisher was like, "What's next? What's next? What's next?" It's weird, isn't it? When you start to become successful, they they want to know what's next. When you want to get a three book deal with them initially, they go, "Oh well, we'll see what's next." So it's <laughs> it's funny how they how they do that. Um, and then I wrote a book um, called a book called Brilliant Life, which is actually my favourite book. I love Brilliant Life, and it, but it didn't sell nearly as well, and that can happen sometimes. And then I wrote a book called Five Star Service, which is about customer service, and that's that's done very well. That's the best selling customer service book in the UK by a British author. Some of the American authors do a bit better, but that's that's fine. 
and then um, flip it. And it was one of those things where, you know, the the publisher said, we need another book. What can you what can you do? And I said, well, I use this expression quite a lot when I'm coaching people, which is flip it. Uh, let's see if we can flip it. So take the situation, turn it around, take whatever it might be and turn it around. Like, right, we love that. That's great. Could you write a book on it? I said, well, it's effectively, it's a technique called reframing. And you, you don't need to write a book on it. You know, it's in other people's books, people who've done NLP books. It's usually one chapter. And they went, oh, come on, Michael, I bet you can. And I sat down, I thought, you know what? I bet I can. Flip it. Let's do it. So I wrote I wrote Flip It. And again, I thought it was going to be one of those things where if it if it sold, you know, by then I was selling maybe 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 copies of books. Not not huge numbers. Um, but I thought if it does that, I'll be really happy. And then an extraordinary thing occurred. So Flip It was published. It had been out for about three months. And I got a phone call from a producer on BBC Radio 2 saying, Chris Evans has read your book. He loves it. And he wants to talk to you on the show about it. I said, which book? And they went, oh, have you got other ones? Oh, it's just this one that he's been talking about for the last two days. And he wants you on the show. So well, which, which book? He said, Flip It. I was like, oh, great. That's good. I wouldn't mind selling a few copies of Flip It. And, um, and then uh, people talk about a life-changing moment. And this was the life-changing moment when um, Chris came on the radio show and he said, uh, at five o'clock, he started to do his intro and he said, today's show is brought to you by my Christmas book recommendation. It's called Flip It. It's by Michael Heppel. This is the book that I want everybody to buy this Christmas. I bought 10 copies today to give us presents and you should do the same. Now, as an author, at that moment, you go, mm. it was a telephone interview and I was sat upstairs in my office at the time. And he said, and the good news is we've got the author on and he's going to be here in uh, about 20 minutes. And I went downstairs and Christine went, right, Pearson need to know what's about to happen. Because I told my publicist, the Pearson, the, the marketing director, oh, I'm going to be on the Chris Evans show. And he went, all right, great. We'll get the, we'll get the printers ready to print more copies. And, and then Chris did this interview with me. And you can hear it on my website. If you go into my website and click on resources, it's there. It, of course it's there. <laughs> and he just raved and raved and raved. I didn't have to do any selling at all. And he said, this is a life changer. Um, I've read every personal development book there is. This is the best. It's the simplest. And Sally, who does the traffic, Sally Traffic, was like, well, give me an example. And he's quoting verbatim from the book, these ideas. And she's going, oh, wow, that sounds really good. And he goes, anyway, he's here. And I was like, hello. <laughs> and, and it went to number one. So it was the Sunday Times number one bestseller. And the only the biggest challenge we had was getting enough copies printed. It was just before Christmas. All the printers were shutting down for Christmas. The uh, publishers managed to get an extra, I think, 50,000 copies done before Christmas. And um, the distribution was a challenge. There was loads and loads of problems. However, I managed to get that at the top, the number one bestseller. Not, not on Amazon for an hour in a rare category that nobody knows, but in the Sunday Times. And, it, and of course, what happens when that occurs is immediately you pick up lots of international deals. And it was one of those ones that has done really well throughout the world. And 
I think that one of the great things is that people use this device, you know, they call it a device where you have the, the cloud and the sun, because that's what Flip It's about. When my mum sees that, she thinks it's going to be cloudy. When I see it, I think it's going to be sunny. Mm-hmm. And that's Flip It in a nutshell, isn't it? It's it is, how you yeah. choose, how you cho- choose to frame things and reframe things. So when you start and see it in other languages and um, they use the sort of similar version, I love this one. Zaz, <laughs> get your copy of Zaz. But all these different ones from all around the world, everybody using the same thing until you go to the French Canadians who absolutely flipped it and decided to call the book 180. <laughs> so, and this is how brilliant they are. They call it 180, they change the size, they make it square. And on the front, they have Braille for 180 which is absolutely no use whatsoever because there's no Braille inside. <laughs> so if somebody got them a, oh, a Braille book called what it, yeah, it looks good. They bought it. There would be, there would be nothing inside. However, it's yeah. a, um, a nice idea. So that's how it came about. And that's how it ended up being a Sunday times number one. Best oh, great. Cause that was going to be one more question. So it's all right. So you had questions. I thought you just set me away. And I just talked all night. <laughs> No, that's fine. Right, let's have the questions. Is the publishers, you don't have any choice then in those covers? No. No. Is you know, that... A lot of people don't realise that. So here's, here's the thing. If you're writing a book and you work with, with, with Lady on it, you're going to be working like this, really closely together, backwards and forwards. How's it going to look? What, what sort of feel do you want with it? All that type of stuff. If you go with one of the big mainstream publishers... They, they will take all of that away from you. And people don't realize that your book, when it's gone, it's gone, right? You don't own any rights to it. And it, it's one of those things that people often say to me, um, oh, but I want, my, I want to sign up with Penguin or I want to sign with whatever. And they sign their rights away and they don't realize that if it doesn't go particularly well, Penguin will ditch it. They won't put anything behind it. They're working the numbers game. They're working on the fact that 80% aren't going to sell very many. And then about 15%, they're going to be okay. They're going to, you know, awful expression, but wipe the backsides with it. With it. And 5% might do okay. And 1% might sell, you know, a few 10, 20, 30, 40,000, 50,000 copies. And they're working those numbers all the time. And I kind of think that's crazy. I think it's absolutely crazy so i think what i've realized my flip it at the moment is that there's new ways to publish and there's better ways to publish and there's more exciting ways to publish which keeps you in control and you get to say what's going to be on the front cover <laughs> that's right and you know it doesn't worry me because you know my my headline is always there's a book in you because i just i just want good quality books out there Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's great when they sell. Yes, of course, that's the ultimate goal. But if you don't start, you know, you, you haven't got a chance, have you? Yeah. So were you a motivational speaker before you wrote your first book? Yes, that was how I made my living. So I was a speaker um, and I used to, well, I still do, <laughs> not for the last couple of years very much, do these big events and that's where I met my best on a stage in front of a whole lot of people and I created an audio program because I didn't think I could write a book I knew I wanted to write a book I just didn't think I had the ability to do it and I met a guy called David Bell 
who was the at that time was head of people for Pearson and was also chairman of the Financial Times. And I gave him a set of CDs. And remember those old days when you used to buy these boxes of you used to use cassettes, first of all, and there would be, you know, Brian Tracy and people like that. Well, I recorded my own and I gave him a copy of these CDs and he looked at the cover and he went, How do we brilliant? That's a great title for a book. Uh, he said, Is it a book? I said, No, no. He said, Well, it should be. I'm going to introduce you to a publisher. So he introduced me to a lady called Rachel Stock. And I always remember this meeting because it was um, it was a, another pivotal moment in my life. And she looked at the idea and we went through what was going to be in it, went through the whole lot. She said, it sounds great. We, I, I want to publish it, which is kind of a bit, you know, a lot of people spend years pitching publishers. I ended up with the right, with the right person, first of all. I did put it out there. I had recorded something. I went to meet this other person who just loved the idea. But there was a problem. And I and she, I said, look, well, that's great, fantastic. Can, it's, can we get it out this year before Christmas? She went, oh, no, it won't be out this year. I said, why not? She said, well, because um, it's, it takes a year and a half. Now, this was this, this day, the Thursday before Easter. And I said, but it has to be out this year. I've set a goal that my book will be published this year, and I always achieve my goal. I said, Michael, there's no way we could do that. I said, there's always a way. Come on, what would it be? And she went, actually, there is one idea, but it's crazy because I don't think it could possibly work. So well, come on, tell me, what is it? So, well, we've got another author who's missed their deadline twice, but they have the slots all booked for when we're going to go to edit, when we're going to go to publication, when we're going to go to publicity, all that type of thing. It's a shame that you haven't written it, because if you'd written it, you could have given me the manuscript and we could have gone with that. And I looked her in the eyes and I went, I have written it. <laughs> really? You've, you haven't mentioned that? And I went, yeah, 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 it's, it's all done. And she said, well, if that's the case, I need the manuscript after Easter. I need it next Tuesday. And I was like, no problem at all. You will have that manuscript next Tuesday. And I left the Malmaison Hotel in Leeds and I rang my wife and I said, Christine, cancel everything. We're writing a book this weekend. And we did. And we wrote How to Be Brilliant in four days. Now you say the royal we there. Yeah. So tell me about your writing, how you write, and how Christine helps. Well, it, Christine should have her name on the front of the books as well. She doesn't want to. She has no ego, so I make up for both of us. <laughs> and, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll write, and then Christine makes it readable. And that's the real thing. So I can write a paragraph in three different tenses, in one <laughs> paragraph. Never mind different places on the book. One paragraph, I can achieve that. I have a type of dyslexia, which is called a motor dyslexia, which means that I'll do something. And in my mind, I've typed it in a particular way. And even when I look back at it, it looks like it's in a particular way. And then Christine will say, look, you know, you've got those words around the wrong way. And I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't realized that. So the other thing that Christine does, which is brilliant, is she will tell me if something's crap. And I think you need that when you're writing. You need someone who will say you know what, this isn't your best work. And a, a good person, normally it's a good editor will do that. They know when you've been padding it out. They know when you've, you know, decided that you're going to uh, just create something because you want that chapter to be a little bit longer or you've made something up because it sounds a little bit more grandiose or whatever. They spot that and they call you out on it. So, so fundamentally, when people say to me, oh, I like your books, they're an easy read. 
a lot of that is down to Christine. Right, excellent. So I'm going to open it now for one of our member questions to you. Can I ask a question? Yes, you Go can, Deborah. Deborah. Who do you think is your most influential sort of author? So who inspires you most? Currently or from the past? Currently. Um, I think Seth Gordon is right up there for the nonfiction stuff. It's brilliant. Very, very easy read. Really good content. Um, and for the fiction side of things, Ken Follett. Uh, I've read every single word that he's written and I love Ken Follett stuff. So what is it about Ken that makes it sort of the kind of a book that you just don't want to put down? But if you look at the stuff like the Pillars of Earth, the Earth trilogy, which is just phenomenal. And he's talking about something that happened, you know, close to a thousand years ago, but it feels like it's so relevant now. And it shows human nature. What Ken Follett's brilliant at is really pulling out human nature and recognizing the best in a character and the worst in a character and, and you identifying with that and going, oh my God, I do that sometimes. And this is the effect it can have a little bit later on, good or bad. I think he's brilliant at that. Thank you. Catherine? Catherine. Thank you. Well, mine is uh, around the issue you raised about the uh, role that these big publishing houses are, are playing and how basically they can rape uh, a writer. That's a good line, isn't it? Raping a writer. Um, what do we do about that? I think well, something has to be done. So there's a couple, there's a couple of things, and that's a really interesting area for for me. Uh, Lady, am I okay to mention write that book? Yeah, you can do say anything you like. Okay, great. So, because I'm not in competition with Lady, but we do a similar type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't do the publishing side of stuff, but I teach people how to write, publish and sell their books. Mm -hmm. And people join join my groups and we've, we've had a lot of success. There's been a, some great, great people have come through the program. But the thing that they have in their minds is that I'm going to I'm going to get a deal with a big publishing house and they've got no idea how, first of all, that's very, very unlikely for various reasons. But also if you should get a deal with a big publishing house, what's expected of you as the author. And it's like, Oh, well, I got a deal with, um, with random house and they'll do my publicity. No, they won't. You still have to do your publicity. You know, a, a publisher might get your book into a shop. It's your job to get it out of a shop. As, as the author. The yeah. other thing that people don't realize is that you give away so much. Now, you used to have to do that because of the risk that the um, publisher was taking. So the, the publisher is going to, you know, we're going to have that initial print run of uh, 5,000 copies, 10,000 copies. And if it doesn't work and they get pulp, that's on us. You don't have that anymore. You can print 250 really good quality copies of your book oh. easily, oh. easily, as good a quality I mean, it's interesting. I was looking at the, the copies of Flip It that you were holding up there. Oh. So this is the one that was done by the publisher. It's got a nice gold foil bit on the front there. Do they? Does my publisher do that anymore? No, they have it on print on demand. The same as everybody else's. The same access that you have to oh. to do a print on demand if people want to buy your book from from Pearson. So what's happened is that the world of publishing is getting the rug pulled from underneath it. Their way of fighting back is remove risk. At all costs, remove risk. So let's go with a celebrity who's already got a name. Celebrity's got a name. We'll go with them. 
Oh, the latest. Can you, I mean, people who are children's authors, imagine you're children's author right now. How do you get into that space? Unless you're, you know, a, a well-known footballer who is now doing children's books or somebody from the Housewives of Chester who's now doing Cheshire or whatever, who's now doing a children's book. What's that about? It's because it's a low risk for them. That's why they're doing it. Then you get into the world of, sorry, I, I, this is a BMI bonnet and I'm pleased that you've mentioned it, Catherine, is that they will they will try and make it so that you're less worthy if you go down the self-published route. You're less worthy. Well, you know what? I nearly did something rude to them with that because my last book, 17, I self-published that and I made a fortune from it. Not a fortune, but I made a good amount of money from it because I published the book. I did a thousand copies at 17 pounds each in hardback. I built up a tribe of people I've, those people then have become part of a membership group. So I have this brilliant membership group where people come along and the attitude is one of sharing and caring, look out for each other. So we have that, have a new keynote called 17. I created the audio program, an audio you can do at home now for nothing and distribute it yourself for nothing. I also set up a new type of coaching program around 17. So altogether from one book, five income streams, and I still own the rights and I haven't done the paperback yet. Now, if I'd done that with Pearson, my traditional publisher, first of all, they didn't like the title. They didn't like the cover design that I came up with. And they went, okay, well, we'll do it because it's you. I went, I don't want you to do it because it's me. Because oh. that's like using my name so you can shift 5,000 books and then forget about it. So and I'm not angry about it because it's an unuseful feeling to be angry about. I'm probably more excited about it because of the opportunity for people. And, you know, I just, I didn't, before we did this, I did an interview with um, two members of previous Write That Book groups. And everybody always asks the same questions, which is, first of all, how many copies of your book have you sold? Hmm. So Ian Pillbeam, who wrote a book called Are We There Yet?, which is about a travel um, story. He went, I don't know the exact numbers, but around about 700. Well, you know, for a first-time author, self-publishing a book, 700 copies is great. Sarah McGough, who's written the children's book, she's between seven and 800 at the moment, um, which is fantastic. We've got a guy called Roger Wilson Crane who wrote a memoir, and his memoir, he's sold 600 and something copies now. I mean, so you can do it. You can do it. The most successful um, author on Kindle now is L.J. Ross, self-published author. So I think the world is going to go completely upside down in the next couple of years with how people are going to publish. And I think the people who are brave and the people who work with, with Lady and people who work with you know people like my groups to write that book group and things like that, there's going to be some real surprises, real surprises coming through. Exactly. So. I think it's interesting the fact you've got the Alliance of Independent Authors and the person who set that up uh, had traditionally published. Mm -hmm. And then she set up an organisation to help people who self-publish because that's, she suddenly wanted to have control back of yeah. her book. And that was the only way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then if you're really, really successful as an independent, you can also get picked up by the traditional ones. So... You could well, that get happens. That happen. That's happening more and more. But you know what's interesting is the people who have self-published, what they're doing is they turn around and they're going, no, why should I? Hal Elrod, who wrote The Miracle Morning, gets published all the, he's, all the time. Publishers are coming to him. Well, we want to put, he goes, so why should I? 
I can distribute. I, he said, I, the, the way my book became famous is I did 200 podcasts in 50 days. I just went all around everybody and said, I want to talk about this miracle morning. As many people as you can say, I'm going to do four or five podcasts every single day. He did the 250 days and his book sales started to go like that. And because it was an interesting idea, whoosh, the whole thing went, went crazy. Right. Two million yeah. copies now. Off social media. Right, time for another question. Can I ask you one, Michael? Of course, Jerry. Uh, so I love your toolkit in Flippers, and um, I'm going to try and apply some of those in my own mindset. I like to think of myself as a positive person, but what I was going to ask is, how do you keep that relentless positivity that you have? Was there a seminal moment, perhaps, in your over the last few years? That so kind I, of... I would say, first of all, I don't keep that. Okay. I, I'm a human, so there are times when I will lose it as well, and there are times when I'm down. Or I have a crap time or whatever. But what I do is that there's a particular tool that I use, which is about having the state change and about understanding that there's three things that will control how I feel at any particular time, language, focus, and physiology. And if I change one of those things, I'm going to feel better. If I change all three, I feel completely different, completely different. And one of the things that you said, there jerry was you said you're going to try and use some of the techniques yeah right well that, that's a key thing that is a for me if i was coaching i would say you're going to try going to use them. right well why wouldn't you test the techniques instead so that's a nice flip rather than saying try something say test something you know I'm, i'll try and do that you're not going to do it you know if somebody if you're having a party and you invite you know a bunch of people so oh we'll try and be there put them on the they're not coming under any circumstances list <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I kind of sat there at eight o'clock. Well, I thought Wendy and Sam were coming. Is Sam, has he talked to you? No, was Wendy, but no, no. I think they're coming. They said they were going to try. They're not coming. Wendy <laughs> and Sam aren't coming. They said they were going to try and be there. The people who you want at your party are the ones who go, I'll be there no matter what. What time does it start? I'm in. Yeah. That's what you want. Abby Rose has just done a nice quote from Yoda. There is no try. There is only do or do Absolutely. not. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> Yes, thanks, we need that said in a Yoda accent. <laughs> <laughs> what is the exact quote? Do you want to go for that, Abby Rose? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think I've been quoted it a lot. I think it's there is, um, there is, is no there try, try, only, only do. do. Only, only do, yeah. Is it the try there is not do only there is? That'll be it. Yeah, no, that's that's one of the things you're talking about, Christine. Proofreading, she'll say to me, Hey, Yoda, <laughs> I've just been reading through some of your stuff. You've been writing in Yoda style again. Excellent. One okay. of my coaching um, uh, tutors um, said to us in a, in a session, If a client says to you they're going to try, Tell them how they'd feel if they're in a plane and the pilot says, I'm going to try to land now <laughs> <laughs> and see how you feel, right? I, what better? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Next question. I'll go if that's okay. Yes, please. Super, Kathleen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to go back to what you said about self publishing because. <clears throat> excuse me, I've written a couple of books, children's books, which have not been published because I had tried to go the traditional route of trying to get in with big publishers, which obviously is very, very difficult to do and you get a lot of knockbacks. Um, and I know that you're 
obviously very positive about self-publishing after everything you just said, but were you always that positive and did it take an amount of time to sort of get yourself mentally past the stigma, which obviously there is, because as you said, big publishing houses are really trying to play yes. it down, that option. So two two things happened. I think it was a bit of an evolution rather than an overnight thing. Mm. Um, I wrote a book called The Edge and it, that was quite interesting because, yeah, thank you. The that was with a different publisher. So the our wonderful, <laughs> oh, this is one. Of, this is one of those classic things. Pearson kind of got a bit lazy with my work, right? And I got an agent, and the agent said, "Michael, for your next book, we're going out to bid for it. You've got a really good name." So I was like, "All right, fine." Anyway, Pearson put in a bid, and it was derisory. So they went back and they went, "Look, we're not even going to put that in front of Michael." let's have another bid. So they put it they up the, and it's just the advance. I mean, it's not even, it's not even like a gift. It's an advance. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And then they put it out to, to auction and Hodder came back with a deal like you can't believe. I mean, mm -hmm. it was mega money. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is how it feels when you're a, an author who gets a big advance. So I was like, right, okay, great. So I was like, uh, yeah, well, let's, okay. We give Pearson a chance to match it. They were nowhere near. So we did, did this book for, for um, with Hodder. And I'd been writing it for three years already. I did another year working with them on it. And then when it published, the person who was head of nonfiction left. A new person took over and put zero money behind marketing. Zero, not a penny. They didn't like the idea. So they wrote off a six figure advance because she didn't like it and she wanted to go with some of her books instead. So I've never paid that advance back. I was very happy to have the money, mm -hmm. but, but I haven't earned it back for them. I get no royalties from, from the edge. Now that's weird um, because now as an author, if someone says to me, um, Michael, I want to buy one of your books, which one would you recommend? Which one am I going to say? I'm going to say how to be brilliant or flip it because they've gone up to the highest ratchet now on my sales. Yeah. So I'm now getting over 20% royalty on each of those books. Wow. Actually, what I would say is um, buy the paperback of 17 when it comes out later this year, because <clears throat> I'll get 80% on that. I'm damning it. <laughs> and ladies, oh. So yeah, so that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That. that was great insight. And do you know one of the things that we're teaching people a lot now in write that book is how to pre-sell the pre-sell process because i think what a lot of people do is they kind of think oh my book's out and now i'm going to start and try and sell it and they get very disheartened early on because once they've gone past a few family and friends we did a pop-up last week and there was somebody came on there and she said i published my first book i've sold 28 copies and i bought 20 of those myself I said, did anybody ever talk to you about tribe building and about pre-publicity and pre-selling? No. List, people, list. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, well, why why would you not? And about and, and then putting deposits in the emotional bank account of that tribe. Loads of deposits. So when you come to sell your book, on day one, you're going to shift the first few hundred. Mm. And that, that suddenly now becomes exciting being a writer again. Which yeah. is what you want. The whole reason people want to write books is they want the excitement of writing and getting their work out there and, you know, having something that's going to be memorable and is there long after you've gone. Yeah, having the eyes on it. I would like to know, in your own words, 
is what was it about in your own words let's let's look at the back of the book you know something making you irritated or stressed flip it frustrated by not being able to get anywhere with anything flip it lacking energy time ideas or support flip it it works at home work life love everywhere the flipper techniques have helped millions of people to achieve what they want when they want that's the promise the promise of the book is if something isn't right there's a technique in this book which will make it right and some of them so are, need... are, some of them are, are, are very simple like a change of word or a change of emphasis or focus other things there's like a one there which is this big where you take your big problem and then you break it down to smaller problems and you fix each of those ones there and you realize that actually the solution was always there it's always there and i have those printed out on sheets of a3 i have a big pile of them over there and whenever i find myself oh man this isn't right or that is right i've got the technique it's in the book i wrote the book on it why am i not doing it myself and i'll sit down i'll do one of those um you know i idea busting um exercises and and it works interesting thing with this michael is i had no idea that so many professionals would give this to people as a as a mental health aid so lots and lots of people who are psychiatrists and psychologists we have a lot of people who are counselors who give this book to people and it it kind of leveled off with its sales and then when lockdown came along they went shooting back up again i mean shooting back up and i got my royalty statement for what happened last year a little while ago and flip it was right back at the top excellent i know one one of my favorite quotes in the book um, comes towards the end which is for every negative that is much more powerful positive just waiting to blow it away yeah, yeah. if you find it you got to look for it yeah there's Abby no Rose, magic wand. did you want to say something yeah, it's really quick um, because I know time is short. Best apple cider vinegar remedy. <laughs> it's undoubtedly when you've got heartburn. Just like straight, neat. Straight, neat. Well, if you've got heartburn, don't take Rennie's or anything like that. Just a big teaspoon of apple cider vinegar. That is one of the best flippets. And immediately you just go, oh, oh, oh it's gone. <laughs> I've been diluting it. That's what I've done wrong. Dennis. To ask a question. Uh, Michael, fascinating uh, book. When you flipped it 180 and you've done it, and let's say you've moved on to a, a next phase of that part of, let's just call work, because I'm always thinking of um, work, and you need to flip it again, can you do it to something else? Or to, yeah. uh, try and make it three-dimensional flip it? Yeah, as many, and I think that's interesting because you know sometimes people will use a flipper technique to change something in their lives, then they become used to that. The thing that flipper created then needs to be changed again. So careers is one thing. Um, you know, there's a person I mentioned in in the book who she says every seven years you should change your job, your home, or your partner. And um, you know, I don't want to change my uh, partner. So we, we moved house, <laughs> which was interesting, but we'll be in this house now for nine years. And weirdly, my job had to change. I couldn't be a speaker on a stage anymore. I had to start and do stuff in this box and, you know, start working um, with the general public, which was interesting, you know, people, humans. People, and us. <laughs> I'm going to be like a preacher on a sermon who says, and finally, and finally, 
So my last, finally, is Bruce Roberts. Bruce, give your question. Hello, Michael. So um, I read that uh, you worked as a roofer when you left school. Yeah. Um, has anything uh, scared you as an author? <laughs> yes. Honestly, the first, there's no nothing more terrifying than your book going out there and people having to do reviews and getting your first one star review as much as people kind of go yeah. oh well it's inevitable that's fine it's awful three it's stars is awful yeah and and you know what i decided to flip it so i recorded a whole lot of videos called author reads his own one star reviews and i put this kind of nice music in the background i've got me sat in a chair and i just read these reviews from people and some of them are scathing some of them, especially the ones for Flip It, because obviously Flip It went whoosh up to number one. And then I bought this book because of Chris Evans's recommendation. Chris doesn't have a clue. It's terrible. It's one of the worst books I've ever read. I wish I hadn't been listening to his show that day. That technically, and I kind of go, oh, thanks very much, Bruce. <laughs> and then, you know what? People love me reading the ones and they said is there more is there more so i started to do them for the other books as well and um now when i get a new one star review i go oh excellent i'll make a little video about that and publicize it even more it's the old terry wogan thing isn't it of he always you know all his complaints against him he used to read yeah. out on air Brilliant. fantastic that is a great flip it to finish on well i think i'm going to close the interview Thank you so much. And Lydia, can I just say, if anybody wants to connect and use, you know, LinkedIn or any of the social media, Facebook, any of those things, do find me and, you know, I can help you anywhere that I can. I'm, I have a, a real strong belief system that I want to put it out there and I want to help people. And thank you for inviting me. Do connect. Okay. Um, you know, I'd love to, to you know, work with you, help you. Thank you. Thank you, you very much for turning up on the right night. And <laughs> it's been an absolute joy. Thank okay. you, Michael. Good stuff. See I you later, everybody. Christine. Okay, bye. bye. Hi, thank you for listening to the Lady AD Show podcast. Come back, subscribe, and we'll do this all over again. Bye-bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.